Good morning. Uh, welcome. For those who don't know me, my name is Mark. I serve as the pastor here at our Syracuse campus. Um, excited to welcome you here today. Uh, we've had uh, a really, um, just a great, great year as we've been going through the book of Mark. We started clear back in January, um, and, and it's, been, it's been a lot of fun. I hope you guys have gotten as much out of it as I have. There's been a lot to take out of the gospel of Mark. Um, we tell you over and over, this is like, this is the fastest moving gospel. It's the shortest gospel, but it's the most action-packed. And so we've been taking our time as we've been going through it. Um, last week, we had a really great message. If you were here, Pastor Dean uh, taught about um, the cost of following Jesus. Um, and it was a really great message. And, and you know, I, I was thinking about this message last week, and I was really reflecting on, on these baptisms that we, that we celebrated today. And these youth who have really made that decision to, to, to follow Jesus and the cost that that's going that to enact for them too. And so um, that, that important decision that they made, we, we celebrate it today um, because it's so exciting, right? Um, but there is a cost and there's a price that they're going to they're gonna pay as they go throughout their life. And so um, I really wanted to, to just take some time, and I hope you will with me, uh, let's just pray for these two youth and for all of our youth um, but especially these two who have made that commitment to follow Jesus. Lord, we, we do celebrate today. It's so exciting to see young people who are willing to turn away from the world and turn towards you. Lord, that they're willing to make that sacrifice. And as we talked about the cost of following you last week, uh, we who have uh, put our faith in you and who have been following you know the cost that's enacted. We know the the sacrifices that are made a lot of times, um, the difficulties that we go through as we live in this, this rebellious, sinful world that is so opposed to you, Lord, that it is not easy to follow you. And so, Lord, I pray um, that as we, we celebrate today Avery and, and Davian giving their lives to you, I pray that we would also um, encourage them that we would come around them as, as a church family, that we would, we would build them up, that we would pour into them as much as they need it. Lord, that we would, we would love them and support them um, through everything that they're going to experience. Lord, we pray most of all that your, you and your spirit really would just protect them as they go out into the world, as they shine your light, as they stand for you, they stand for your truth in love, Lord. We pray your protection over them. We pray your strength to pour into them. And we pray for your love to just outpour through them into all of those around them. Lord, I am so grateful to know these two. And, and I know everybody here who knows them. We are so amazed at their love and their service that they have towards you, Lord. And we love you for what you're going to do in their lives. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you guys. Thank you for, for praying for them with me. Um, so I talked about uh, last week, we had this great message um, about the cost of following Jesus. Um, and today, 
we are going to be starting in chapter 9. Well, we, we started in chapter 9 last week. We've talked about the first verse. Um, today we're going to be um, really focusing in chapter 9, starting in verse 2. Um, so if you have your Bible, turn with me there. We're going to be in Mark chapter 9. We're going to be studying verses 2 to 13 today. Um, and and just, just so you all know, if, if you don't have a Bible, um, we have free Bibles at our welcome table, okay? And you guys are welcome to take those. Um, in fact, if you want to leave right now and go grab one, I will not be offended. Go ahead and grab one if you want to follow along. Um, but if you don't have one, feel free to grab one on your way out. We have no shortage of those Bibles. Um, so, like I mentioned last week, uh, Jesus was teaching about the cost of, of following him, of denying oneself and taking up one's cross. Um, and if you were here Two weeks ago, we, we read about Peter recognizing Jesus as someone much greater than a teacher, much greater than just any rabbi. Peter actually confesses Jesus as the Messiah, and that was a big moment. And in that, in that message, what we talked about was how Jesus, he's revealing his identity more and, and more to his disciples as they continue to follow him. Even last week, Jesus explains to them what he's really going to end up doing as the Messiah, um, that he's going to end up suffering and dying and, and rising from the, from the dead on the third day. And he continues to give them this gradually clearer and clearer picture um, of who he is and what his mission is and of who, who the Messiah really is, okay? And today, today is a really, a really awesome moment that we're going to read about um, it's a moment where he's going to reveal himself to a select few of the disciples in a, in a way that they never expected. So like I said, we're going to be reading verses 2 to 13. So you can turn with me there. Um, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to read through it, and then we're going to, and then we're going to break it down and kind of talk about it, okay? So starting in verse 2, six days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain to be alone. As the men watched, Jesus Jesus' appearance was transformed, and his clothes became dazzling white, far whiter than any earthly bleach could ever make them. Then Elijah and Moses appeared and began talking with Jesus. Peter exclaimed, Rabbi, it's wonderful for us to be here. Let's make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He said this because he didn't really know what else to say, for they were all terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my dearly loved son. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, Moses and Elijah were gone, and they saw only Jesus with them. As they went back down the mountain, he told them not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept it to themselves, but they often asked each other what he meant by rising from the dead. Then they asked him, why do the teachers of religious law insist that Elijah must return before the Messiah comes? Jesus responded, Elijah is indeed coming first to get everything ready. Yet why do the scriptures say that the Son of Man must suffer greatly and be treated with utter contempt? But I tell you, Elijah has already come and they chose to abuse him just as the scriptures predicted. What an amazing experience this must have been for Peter, James, and John. Can you imagine it? Jesus' divine nature, it's on display here, showing once again 
that he's far more than a teacher or even a great prophet. He's showing that, that he is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God. There's this really famous quote from C.S. Lewis. Maybe a lot of you have, have heard it. It's in the book Mere Christianity. It's, it's actually a, it's a collection of radio talks um, that he made between 1941 and 1944 on British radio uh, during the height of World War II that C.S. Lewis did. And, and, and this, is, this is one of those talks. This is part of that. Um, and this is in that book, if you guys have read it or maybe you've heard it before. He says this, you must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Think about how revered Jesus is throughout the world. That he existed as a historical figure, a literal historical figure, isn't even debatable at this, at this point. Okay? But even non-Christian religions believe that Jesus was a, was a prophet, or at the very least, one of the greatest moral teachers in the history of mankind. But ask yourself, why do they stop at recognizing Jesus? They stop short of recognizing him as the Son of God. See, being just a prophet or just a teacher isn't something that Jesus left on the table. That's not something that, that he left as an option for us to look at him as, simply because of the claims that he makes about himself. And this, this, this uh, passage that we're reading right now in Mark also known as the transfiguration of Jesus. Um, this was one of the greatest revelations of Jesus' divinity um, to his disciples. So let's go back and look at those first couple of verses. Um, as Jesus, he, he takes Peter, James, and John up onto this mountain, and they watch, and his appearance, it's transformed, and his clothes become dazzlingly white, far whiter than, than any white that ever, they'd ever seen, Okay? And then Elijah and Moses appear and they begin talking with Jesus. See, Jesus, he has this inner circle of three disciples that we see all throughout the Gospels. Um, and he reveals his true identity to them, just these three, giving them just a glimpse of his divine glory. They see Jesus transfigured. It's this, this Greek word, uh, I'm going to butcher it, metamorpho, meaning to change into another form. You can, you can guess what that, that really sounds like, metamorphosis, right? It's where we get that word metamorphosis from. See, Jesus' true identity is actually covered up. It's, it's veiled by the human flesh that he's taken on. But here the veil is pulled back just a little bit for Peter, James, and John to see. They're getting a glimpse of who Jesus is really is God in the flesh. See, and at this point, this, is, this really is the point in the Gospel of Mark um, where Jesus is, is giving one of the greatest glimpses of his true identity. 
And, and Mark really wants to reveal that in his book, in the gospel that he writes. If you remember in the very first, in the very first verse of his book, he stated his purpose was to reveal Jesus' identity. He says, this is the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. That's his purpose in writing the book of Mark, to reveal that throughout the course of his book. It's not the good news about Jesus, the wise teacher, not the good news about Jesus, the prophet, the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Now, maybe some of you here still don't quite know who Jesus is. You're still seeking out his true identity. Maybe you're still stuck and thinking that his purpose was to come and be a good moral teacher, to teach us how to get, live a good moral life. If that's the case, then the passage today is as much for you as this experience was for Peter, James, and John. See, they didn't quite understand who Jesus truly was yet. They'd been following him all this time, and they still couldn't quite understand who he was. Even though Peter, as we'd read just, just a few verses prior, Peter claiming that Jesus is the Messiah, he, doesn't even, he still doesn't even fully understand who the Messiah is or, or what the Messiah has come to do, what his purpose is. There's still not a full clarity to it. So Jesus, he takes them up on this high mountain and he reveals, reveals some of his glory to them. Not only that, but as we read about, we see that, that Moses and Elijah appear. How crazy is that? That's, that's crazy, right? This event actually, it echoes another instance where God reveals some of his glory to Moses in the Old Testament. Clear back in Exodus. Uh, Moses, let me give you some backstory back here. He was, he's led the Israelites out of captivity in Egypt and he's guiding them towards the promised land. He's gone up to Mount Sinai to commune with God um, during this really difficult time of, of leading the people. He's, um, he's struggling to lead them through this. He's, he's questioning himself even, as if he's the one who's supposed to really be doing this. And in his struggle, he, he actually cries out to God. He, he asks God to reveal his glory to him. And that's, this is actually right before God gives the Ten Commandments to Moses to put down on, on new tablets. If you know the story, he broke the, the, the first ones, and, and this is right before that. So here's what happened. The Lord continued, look, stand near me on this rock. As my glorious presence passes by, I will hide you in the crevice of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and let you see me from behind, but my face will not be seen. See, God reveals just a small part of his glory to Moses. Just like we see him revealing some small part of Jesus' glory here to his disciples in the, in the book of Mark. See, God is confirming to Peter, James, and John who Jesus really is. He's confirming that he is the Son of God, not just a man, but fully God. And as I mentioned earlier, notice, notice who shows up here um, speaking with, with Jesus. It's Moses and Elijah. And you might wonder, why Moses and Elijah? There are so many amazing characters throughout the Old Testament, so many heroes of the Jewish people. Why Moses and Elijah? What's so significant 
about these two people? Well, there's a clue that we find actually in the Old Testament. In fact, what's really interesting is the place in the Old Testament that we find this. Um, It's actually the very last verses of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi. If you want to turn there with me, it's, it's just two books before. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. So if you want to turn to Malachi chapter 4, verses 4 to 6, this is how the Old Testament is wrapped up with everything waiting in anticipation for the coming of the Messiah. It says, Remember to obey the law of Moses, my servant, all the decrees and regulations that I gave him on Mount Sinai for all Israel. Look, I am sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. His preaching will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. Moses, the one who represents the law, and Elijah, the one who prepares the way, the great prophet. Moses, he he represents the law. Elijah, he represents the prophets. Both the law and the prophets point to Jesus. In fact, in Matthew 5, 17, Jesus says this, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Now, a few more interesting facts about Moses and Elijah um, that maybe you don't know. Both Moses and Elijah were given glimpses of God's glory on the same mountain, on Mount Sinai. They both had, had uh, these encounters. And both of them have mysterious circumstances surrounding the way their earthly lives ended. The way I say that is, the, way, the reason I'm saying it that way is because Elijah, if you know the story, he actually didn't die. He was translated directly to heaven. He was taken directly up. He didn't die. Moses, on the other hand, he wasn't taken directly to heaven um, like Elijah without dying, but his death is still mysterious. Hey, Moses, um, he died. But it says that God actually buried Moses secretly after his death. God buried him in a hidden place. There's, there's even a more mysterious verse in the Bible, actually, um, about his body. In Jude, verse 9, it's a tiny book. It's a one-chapter book, the book right before Revelation. In Jude 9, we read this, but even the archangel Michael when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not himself dare to condemn him for slander, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Strange, right? That's, that's strange. There's some sort of confrontation, some contention over uh, Moses' body between the archangel Michael and the devil. So there's obviously something important about the preservation of the body of Moses, We don't know exactly why or for what, but it's fascinating, isn't it? So Moses and Elijah are obviously very significant characters here. And as we we read on here, we see that that Peter, James, and John are just totally awestruck. 
right? Peter exclaims, Rabbi, it's wonderful for us to be here. Let's make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He said this because he didn't really know what else to say, for they were all terrified. Isn't that funny? Then a cloud overshadows them, and a voice from the cloud says, this is my dearly loved son. Listen to him. Suddenly when they look around, Moses and Elijah are gone, and they see only Jesus. See, they have this overwhelming experience and it says Peter can't think of anything, to, <laughs> anything else to say. He can't think of anything other than just staying there, staying in this moment that they're, that they're having with Jesus and these two amazing prophets they're seeing. Now think about it. Have you ever had this amazing experience with God before personally that you feel his presence so powerfully and you want nothing more than to just stay in that moment forever. I imagine that's probably a, a, a small portion of what Peter, James, and John are feeling in this moment. It's, it's amazing to have those experiences, to really feel the presence of God like that, to really uh, just have a glimpse of his glory it's amazing to have those precious moments, but, but staying on the mountain in this moment is not where the disciples are meant to stay. See, there's work for them to do. There are people who need to be ministered to. Do we feel the same way at times where we want to come to, to church and worship and, and we just want to bask in the, in the Holy Spirit's presence that we feel Right? Or we listen to, we, we listen to, to worship music, we um, read spiritual books, or, or we listen to sermons that help us feel closer to Jesus. You know, we, we, we do those things. They're great. We, we need those things that, that help us draw closer to God. Right? We do need those things. But do we make the mistake of thinking that we should stay on the mountain as well? rather than going down to the valley to do the work that God wants us to do. See, we have a mission as well, just like the disciples, to find others lost in the valleys and point them to the mountain of Jesus. That's why God almost rebukes them here. The other mistake that we see Peter make, though, is that he seems still in this moment to not fully understand uh, who Jesus is. He's, he's putting him on the same level as Moses and Elijah, isn't he? he? He wants to make three tents, one for each of them. He doesn't seem to fully grasp Jesus' deity yet. And so once again, we see God the Father speaking over Jesus, proclaiming exactly who Jesus is, the Son of God, as if to, as if to clarify even further, we see Moses and Elijah disappear, and only Jesus remains. The authority of the law, the responsibility of the prophets, now passing solely on to Jesus. And as we read on, as they went back down the mountain, he told them not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept it to themselves, but they often asked each other what he meant by rising from the dead. Then they asked him, why do the teachers of the religious law insist that Elijah must return before the Messiah comes? And Jesus responded, 
Elijah is indeed coming first to get everything ready, yet why do the scriptures say that the Son of Man must suffer greatly and be treated with utter contempt? But I tell you, Elijah has already come, and they chose to abuse him just as the scriptures predicted. So Jesus, he's, he instructs them not to tell anyone what had happened, not to tell anyone what they'd seen until the Son of Man has risen from the grave. And they still don't really understand what he's talking about. They have no idea what it means that he's going to rise from the grave. In fact, they probably think that he won't rise from the grave until the end times, the, the day of the Lord, and, which is maybe why they ask about Elijah, uh, who the scriptures and the teachers say a lot has to do with him uh, at, towards the end. He plays a large part. But they're asking these questions, and instead Jesus turns their attention back to him and what the scriptures say about him. That's what he wants them to focus on, as if telling them to stop listening to everything else and focusing on all these other things, but to focus on, on what the scriptures say about him. Because Jesus is the focal point of everything, the law, the prophets. Everything points to him and the work that he is there to do. And when we look to Jesus and we look at him alone, we come to a greater understanding of everything. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 to 18, but whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. Let Jesus take the veil away so that you can see and reflect His glory. Let the glory that you experience on the mountain reflect off of you as you go down to those in the valley, sharing the good news of Jesus with all those who need to hear it. Let's pray. Lord, this experience that we read about of, of Peter, James, and John getting a glimpse of, of your true identity, of seeing your glory, man, what a powerful moment that must have been. Lord, we, we all have moments where we, where we feel your presence seemingly stronger than other times. And Lord, we thank you for those moments. We thank you for the times that you, that you really seem to build us up and pour into us and draw us so close to you. But Lord, I pray that we would, we would never forget that what our purpose here to do on this earth is to reflect your glory. We're meant to reflect your glory to those around us. And Lord, I pray that, that those who are here today who, who still don't quite know who you are, I pray that this would be an opportunity for them to, to seek a, a greater understanding of you, to really gain a desire to, to pursue you and find out who you are and to find out how much you love them. Lord, I pray that, that anybody here today who, who fits into that category, I pray that they would, they would talk to somebody, somebody they came with, talk to uh, one of us, a leader here, that we would be able to share who you really are with them. Because, Lord, we know 
what happens when we accept you as our Lord, when we come to know who you really are. Lord, it transforms everything in our lives, transforms the way we see things, the way that we live our lives. Something that it's indescribable, Lord. And so, Lord, we thank you for those of us who, who know who, we, who you are. We thank you for that. We ask you to continue to build us up, to encourage us, to, to grow us more and more into the likeness of Jesus. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.